0: And thank you, Bono. Uh, I mean, Ben. Ben. I get those guys mixed up sometimes. Good morning, Highlands Church. How are you doing? Oh, my goodness. It's so good to see you. I got to welcome so many as you, of you as you came in today. See your faces. Um, uh, you're so beautiful uh, to, to welcome me here today. And it's bizarre and amazing and surreal for me to be standing here. Uh, the, actually, this uh, same scripture that I'm preaching today is is the same scripture that I preached on for my very first sermon at Highlands Church 10 years ago, when this service was meeting at the theater downtown. And uh, honestly, through that time, uh, all I can say the reason that I'm here today is because I follow Jesus. I just put my life in Jesus' hands, so I give all credit. If, if there's a coherent sentence that comes out of my mouth today, I give it all to Jesus. <laughs> And also just placing scripture in, and studying scripture and letting it go from my head into my heart and then out my hands and into my feet and, and, and I see what God does with it. And so I get to ask you the question I've been wanting to ask you for a very long time. Are you ready for the question? Okay, this is the question. Are you ready and excited to read the Bible? Yes. That's not what I wanted to hear. Let me try it again. Are you ready and excited to read the Bible? Yes. That's exactly how we do it. So today's scripture is John chapter 21, verse 1 through 14, and it's the story of Jesus appearing to the disciples after his resurrection. Jesus was murdered, crucified, he died, he was buried, and then he came back to life again. He conquered death. And he wasn't just about coming back to life and conquering death for himself, he was about conquering death everywhere. And so he appeared to the disciples and he forgave them and loved them and cared for them. And so, this, according to John, is the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples, and he appears to them by the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias, as the scripture today will call it. Let's jump right into the scripture and read the story of Jesus' appearance to the disciples. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples. Now Simon Peter said to the others, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. <laughs> now, I want to pause because this is one of the earliest snapshots of the church, the Christian community that we have. And apparently these guys joined the fishing ministry. Uh, they, uh, they liked to fish. They were fishermen. And at this moment, Peter is this charismatic, enigmatic leader. And he's this guy like, the, remember the guys in high school when they would say, uh, I'm going to go jump off a cliff. And all the other guys would say, I'm going too. He was that kind of guy. <laughs> but I also think there's another thing going on here. That they were about community. They wouldn't let one of the guys go out fishing alone. They did things together. They journeyed together. They adventured together. They experienced life together. They, they experienced the same kind of community that we experience right now and the same kind of community that, it, that you or I could experience if we attended this, uh, these new small groups that start this, this Monday. The Financial Peace One, the Grief Group, the Single Moms Group, all of these groups, they're all the same thing. They're hanging out with each other learning what it means to, to live out our faith. So, listen to the next part of Scripture. This is a great. So it says that they went into the boat. Oh, here, uh, this is one thing that I wanted to focus on. Thank you, Jim. And repeat this after I say it. God does amazing work on you when you work together. Think about that. Now, let's say it together. God does amazing work on you when you work together. This thing that God drew, drew us into you, gathered us into This this thing of community is what he intended. Jesus' body was broken so that the fractured body of our community could be whole, right? So let's read the scripture. It says that that night, the disciples went out, got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, how many people have been fishing in their life? Anybody? Okay, how many people have uh, been fishing and not caught something? A lot. Okay, that's the same number, by the way. Um, (laughs) Okay. Sorry, me too. I raised my hand. And uh, there's nothing more uh, more, more, dejecting, <laughs> devastating, any fishery, there's a fisherman right there, than not catching anything when you go, go out. And these are trained fishermen. They were raised as fishermen. That was supposed to be their job until they became disciples of Jesus. And they, they didn't catch anything. And they weren't fishing like a lot of you probably fish with a, with a fly rod and a fly, one little hook, non-barbed, by the way. <laughs> they probably fished with nets. And they, it says that they fished with nets, but they caught nothing, not, not a thing. Now, I understand how they felt, fishing all night and not catching a single thing. Not because I've been fishing, but because I've lived life. And I know what it's like, to come up empty, to have a plan in my life, something that I set out to do, an idea I had, or an agenda or some kind of uh, some kind of accomplishment that I wanted to have, and then just to go that direction as hard as I, and, and fast and, and to try as much as I could, and then to come up completely empty and and this is where the disciples are they 're in that place and, and and one of the things that's interesting about our society and our community is that we tend to treat or say, or the community, the world says that failure is basically failure. But, but you see, actually, failure can oftentimes be your greatest success in life. It can be the passage, it can be the incubation lab for God's successes in your life. And the beautiful thing about failure is that sometimes, actually all the time in my life, it's brought me to my knees before God. Like this, Lord, help me. And I realized in those moments that that's where I should have been the whole entire time. Is before, on my knees before God. Recognizing also, and this is big, God wanted the disciples to know that, that this church will not be based on the creative ideas or the charismatic personality of one person or a group of people. That it will, it will be built on the shoulders of men and women who understand that every single fish that we catch in this life is from God, even if it's a little baby one. Every little good gift that we get, every little morsel of goodness or love or hope or joy, all of that, Scripture tells us, comes from God. And that if we recognize that, well, then, oh, man, our whole entire life is transformed. Listen to the next part of scripture. This is amazing. It says, just after daybreak, so they'd been fishing all night, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. And this is really important. Pay attention to this. It says that the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. That changes everything. So Jesus said to them, so this, they, hear, they see a stranger basically saying this, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered to him, no. Now, okay, there's nothing worse than when you're fishing and there, a guy down the screen or a gal is fishing and you haven't caught anything and they say this. What do they say? Anyone, anyone know? Did you catch anything? Yeah, someone said it exactly what I've heard too many times. And it's humiliating because usually they've caught something. <laughs> and, and, and then you have this moment of honesty where you say No. Or you lie. And you say, yeah, I caught out something. I just returned it. Catch and return. Uh, I don't do that. No. And, and then, um, but the reality is, I think there's something to be learned here. The path, the path forward in life is honesty. And this is honesty to do a stranger. We think it's just to God, but it's honesty to every. We we're are we're a community of truth. We embrace truth. We live out truth. And so it's about saying, when you have an empty net, when I say hi to you on Sunday, and you say how you, I say, how are you doing? I want you to say, not great, if you're not doing great. I want you to speak the truth of where you are in your life. Not just to me, but to everybody, if someone asks you. Because you know what? If you tell people where you are in a difficult time in life, it gives you all the power to praise Jesus when, when things turn around and say, you know what? I am at this empty net part of my life, but I know Jesus is going to come through. Just watch. You know, admitting that you're coming up empty is just a healthiest, most wonderful thing to do. And then it goes on to say, it says, Jesus, oh, here, back to the scripture. Jesus said to them, cast your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some fish. Now, this this is, okay, the first miracle here is that they didn't catch anything. I actually think that was an intention of God that they didn't catch anything, right? That's a miracle. That means that God got them right where he wanted them to be. And then the second miracle is that they actually listened to a stranger's voice to keep fishing. Even though they had been fishing all night and now the conditions were not the best for fishing, for net fishing, yet they still did the irrational thing and pulled up from this voice of hope on the shore of a stranger. They pulled up the net which was not easy and then they cast it out to the other side of the boat imagine that moment of letting it go releasing that net and the doubtfulness they might have had but they still did it they stepped forward in faith and they responded to that voice from the shore and the scripture says so they cast it they they let it go they released it and now they were not able to haul in The nets, because there were so many fish. Imagine that moment where they're just trying to pull it in, like, oh, this is bad. Today is Reverend, okay, sorry, Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday. I think he has too many acronyms on his name. So I like to call him Reverend King. You like that? (laughs) Because he was a pastor. He was a pastor his whole life. You want to know where that transformation comes? You can find it right here. Reverend King was a young pastor. He was 26 years old in 1955. And he went to serve and lead the very first church of his life. Imagine that, 26 years old. And, uh, and I'm sure that when he went into that church, he had all these ideas about what the, first, what the very first year of his ministry would look like. Right? You know, you kind of plan out, well, this would be a good idea, the next year or maybe the fifth year. He probably had a little kind of timeline of how things might unfold. But God had another plan in mind, and, and so in, in the first year of his ministry, he receives this phone call from this, base, this guy who is basically a stranger to Reverend King, and his name was Edgar Norton. Nixon, Ed, sorry, Edgar not not Ed Norton. Don't worry. It was uh, sorry, that was another sermon I preached about Edward. Oh, this, sorry, so Edward, Edgar, <laughs> Edgar. This is why you don't know who he is, because his name is so hard to say. (laughs) I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. How can you not say that's? uh, Let's try. Should I try it? Edgar Davis Nixon. And Reverend King had kind of heard about who he was, but he wasn't. He was a stranger. Edgar Davis said. Edgar Davis Nixon said, "I heard you talk at this event a year ago, and I know you don't really know who I am, but I, I see yesterday, and the big thing that had happened the day before is that." Rosa Parks, do you know who that is? She had refused to sit at the back of the bus. She had endured a life of humiliation and shame. So she refused to sit at the back of the bus. So she was arrested for refusing to sit at the back of the bus because she was black. In Montgomery, Alabama, you couldn't ride at the front of the bus if you were black back then. And so Edgar Davis Norton said, Reverend King, I think what we need to do is hold a bus boycott and we're going to do it in a couple of days and I want to have it, have the meeting about it at your church. You know, the meeting about taking on the entire city and the establishment and all the racists in the world. Let's have that at your church, (laughs) right? And Edgar and Reverend King had this moment, right? He had this moment. Wow. That's not in my calendar of events for the next week, but maybe what I'll do is I'll cast my net over the other side of the boat and try something new. And so he said yes and they had that meeting at his church and, and it, was, it had received this publicity in the papers and so it was the most successful bus boycott in the country. Everybody boycotted the buses, the whites and the blacks. There wasn't anybody on the buses in Montgomery, Alabama that day. And and then they had an emergency meeting that night and they realized how well things had gone. And at the meeting, again, Reverend King had the meeting at his church and someone stood up and they said, I'd like to nominate Reverend King to be the president of the anti-racist com- <laughs> committee <laughs> and to, to lead this committee of the boys, bus boycott until segregation is overturned in Montgomery, Alabama. You imagine that moment of casting his net to the other side of the boat? And he accepted and the bus boycott continued with people. Imagine people not, not riding the bus, but some of them had to walk back and forth because they couldn't get rides. Back and forth, miles and miles to work, every day of the bus boycott. And uh, the church got together, they got together as a community, and they just started doing things that were probably very mundane for every day of the boycott. They picked up the phone and they organized carpools and rides for people all over the town so that they could get to their work so that they could put bread on their table so they could boycott the buses. And that boycott lasted not one day, not two days, not 10 days, 20, 30, not three months, not four months, not eight months. Imagine those people walking. 365 days they walked back and forth refusing to give in. And then through that boycott, Reverend King had his house bombed and he was put in jail. And I'll bet there were some empty net experiences. Can you imagine Dave, 252 of getting on the phone and organizing another carpool to make sure that people could get their way to work and just feeling this is not doing anything. Our pastor's just been put in jail. They were in that empty net experience. And then at the end of the year, the Supreme Court of the United States offered a a judgment that segregation of buses in Montgomery, Alabama was not only illegal, but it was unconstitutional. And Reverend King and this guy here, that's Rosa Parks, this guy here, Edgar Davis Nixon, help me remember that name, Dr. King and Edgar Davis Nixon stood and rode on one of the first integrated buses. And they must have been filled with so much joy and their nets must have felt so full. And this is what Reverend King said. He said, we came to see that in the long run, it is more honorable to walk in dignity than to ride in humiliation we decided to substitute tired feet for tired souls and walk the streets of montgomery if you're here for the first time and you've never experienced what it's like to be part of a a humble church that is actively seeking to bring about real change in this world i urge you and beg you to stick around There is no better way to bring life to your tired and weary soul than to put feet to your faith. It will transform everything in your life. Reverend King had a very, very profound and amazing ministry. And for seven years, he had been a spokesman and prominent figure in the civil rights movement. And in 1963 he was invited to speak in front of 250,000 people while standing on the on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Now, you can imagine he worked pretty hard on that speech. He asked a lot of people, "Hey, what should I do? What should I say in this speech? What are the how how should I move forward with this?" And 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 what do you recommend? Well, they had all agreed that the best title and the best title that he could come up with was "Normally Never Again." That is not the catchiest title, honestly. And it's not the kind of thing that's going to be, you know, etched in the memory of everybody in in our country for years to come. And so at 3.30 in the morning before the speech, he was working on that speech and he finally put down his pen and he said, I've done everything I can do. It's time to go to bed. Reverend King was the last speaker on the docket that day. And by the way, if you ever speak at a Christian conference or any conference at all, you don't want to be the last speaker. Everybody goes home for the last speaker. It's just a few people that are remaining, and, and their brains are already filled with way too much information. So it's a hot, muggy day, August 28, 1963, Washington, D.C., 250,000 people. Does anyone really think that sounds fun? Really, probably not the greatest speaker system back in 1963. Reverend King gets up to preach and speak and give this message that he had crafted. And and it goes pretty well, but I mean, there's only so much you can do. And then people were doing pretty good. It was a good speech. People were applauding at the right applause, not lines. They were saying amen. You heard that kind of stuff. And then during one of the moments of the speech moving forward near the end, Reverend King heard that woman right there. Do you know who I'm talking about? She kind of stands out a little bit. Her name's Mahalia Jackson. And she said this to him Tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And he took his manuscript and he closed it and he set it to the side. And that's when he said these words I have a dream. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Those disciples that day when they heard that voice from the shore had a character-building moment. Would they cast the net to the right side of the boat or would they not? God challenges our character, doesn't he? It challenges us to grow in ways that we never thought were possible. And he's done so in my life in ways that I can't even explain. And I encourage you to ask yourself the question, have you been living off of the manuscript that you've written for the past five years, past five weeks, past five days? Have you had this plan in your life of how things are gonna move forward and trying to been living by that manuscript? And, and basically, you're getting people to, to say good job at the right applause lines. But at some point along the way, you gave up on the dream, the dream that God put on your heart, the vision of a world where the impossible is really possible, where communities are not fractured and divided, but they're together and united like this. I urge you to consider casting that net like the disciples did off to the other side of the boat in your life. And we all have ways that we can continue to do this. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of following Jesus Christ. It never ends. And you don't get more tired. You know what? When you follow Jesus and you put feet to your faith, your soul gets life again. There's no better way to bring to bring life to a weary soul than to put feet to your faith. And that's what the disciples did, and that's what we get to do too. Listen to how this story ends. It says, The disciple whom Jesus loved said, and by the way, before you read more of this, I want you to know this is the book of John, and back then it was rude to refer to yourself in the first person to say, I. So he referred to himself as just this other person, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And by the way, he always says nice things about himself, so that's just this side. <laughs> so the disciple whom Jesus loves said to Peter, it is the Lord. He discovered it. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples decided to stay naked. No, I didn't read that part, <laughs> sorry. You, did I say I'm a broken human being? Okay, so. <laughs> but the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. Remember, because it was so full, they couldn't haul it in, right? So they had to drag it behind them. For they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. I love the description and detail, 100 yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there. Can you imagine after a long night, cold night like it was last night, out on the sea, and then you get there and someone has made a charcoal fire with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. I love that song. I don't even remember it, but I just remember what it's about. Simon Peter, bring your net ashore. Full of large fish, 153 of them. They they wanted to make sure this didn't turn into a large fish story, so they were very detailed. You know, how many fish was it? I think it was a million. No, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. That's a miracle too, by the way. Jesus told Simon Peter to go and get fish and bring it to the fire, even though there were fish already on the fire. Breakfast was already made. But Jesus knew it was important for them to go and and bring the blessings that they had received in their life to the fire. That is so important. If you've, Chances are that in your life, you have had moments, glimmers, glimpses of goodness. There have been things that have happened in your life where you can look back and say, remember that time? That was really cool. And if all good things come from God, then that means that those are the fish in your life. Those are the times when God has filled up your nets. And when we come to worship, it's so important for us because, oh, we have empty net times in our lives to reflect on God's goodness and faithfulness and pattern of, of, of resurrecting human beings, resurrecting the broken story of our past. And so we bring these things, these, what is that? I want you to reflect on that even now. I know it's hard. Just think, is there something in the past year or, or the past 10 years, maybe 20 years ago, that was, that was that thing that you can recognize was that gift from God. And maybe you thought that all the gifts that you were receiving in life were just from strangers. Maybe you thought every time that a, a server helped you sit down at the table or came and brought you a meal. Maybe you thought that every time that a person was kind or generous to you, you just thought it was a stranger, but you didn't recognize that it was really the hands of Jesus in your life, reaching out to you in those really difficult, hard times. And this is your moment where you hear John or me or someone else here saying, it is the Lord. Can you think about that? Have you got yours in, in mind, I'll wait. The vote can wait. Okay, now think about that thing, and with me, just say, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. It is. I have had some serious empty net times in my life, and uh, one of them was here at Highlands, and... Uh, I I heard that there was a a young girl in Templeton who lost her life and her memorial services later today. She was a teenager in high school, and there are people here who uh, knew her. Shelby, and we're so sorry for your loss, and we know that you are probably at the emptiest net point of your entire life. And uh, for me, my best friend in the world had died. And I was here at Highlands, and then I met my wife, Danielle, (laughs) at the lowest moment of my life. And I just praise God for her in my life. I, yesterday, I referred to her as my lifeboat. She's the most compassionate, wonderful, naturally... You can put a picture of her up there because I think she's really gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> naturally beautiful person I've ever seen in my life. And, um, and then we got married, which is, which is a miracle in itself. And, uh, and then... Uh, the doctors had all told us that we would never have children uh, because of medical reasons, and we just trusted that they were right. And, and, and so we, we knew that, um, and I think they were right. But then we went to, we, we, were, we were fine with it after a while. We're not fine with it, but we went to an adoption seminar. We were excited to adopt, an and, and adoption seminar at Saddleback Christian Church. You guys know that place? And uh, that's when Danny felt sick, <laughs> and she was pregnant. <laughs> and so then we had miracle baby number one, Ella. Miracle baby number two, Olivia. And miracle baby, uh, loud miracle baby number three, Luke. We'll suppress this audio for later when he grows up. But, um, and we're done, by the way, just in case anybody's wondering. Uh, well... <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're done. We're done. <laughs> and then one of the darkest, hardest times for me was leaving Highlands Church. Uh, I said, I'll go to, we got married and then we decided that we would move down to uh, Los Angeles and so that I could go to seminary at, uh, at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena. And um, when I left here, I, I equated it to heart surgery, like having your, your chest cavity ripped open and, and it was painful and awful. But you know what it was? It was really the path. To growth in my life. It was casting the net to the other side of the boat. I said, I would never be a pastor, but I will try one seminary class and see how it goes. <laughs> so I've met a lot. I've actually had like three guys go to seminary based on that advice. I say, just go to one class and see how it goes. And they love it. And then, uh, and then we went to Fremont Church, in, and Fremont Church is in Sacramento. And that's thousands of people that I served with there. And uh, they are so loving and kind and good. In fact, one guy, uh, Andy, came here all the way from Sacramento today to just be here for this moment. So thank you, Andy. We're really glad to have you here. And he's a really good bagpiper, which is cool too. So, um, And then um, we, we went away from Fremont. And, and stepped out in faith and did this other thing. We went to this church called San Marino Community Church and it was the biggest blessing in our life. The, the kindest, most wonderful people. I mean, Paul, Paul refers to it as grace on grace. Undeserved blessing on undeserved blessing. It's like nets being filled so much that you're sure they're gonna rip right open. And, and you know what? Never at one point in my life have, have there been too many fish for the nets. Never has there been too much of God's goodness and abundance and love and kindness. I am so in awe of who God is right now. And I'm so humbled. That, that we, we are going to have an opportunity, God willing, with the vote, please stick around. Even if you're not a, a member, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to see this and witness this and, and enjoy this, this, this moment in this life of this church. And, uh, and the beautiful vision that we're given at the end of this scripture is the vision of meeting Jesus by the fire. Isn't that gorgeous? Listen to the words of scripture. Jesus said to them these words, Come and have breakfast. Isn't that great? Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? because they knew, they all knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread, the bread that he had baked, and the fish, and he gave it to them. This was the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that the words that we've heard today would not just circulate around our brain and activate our neurons, but Lord, they would soak deep down into our heart. That we would become a people who are brought to life again, even in the empty net moments of our life. That we would find the words of encouragement, maybe from Reverend King, maybe from Edgar Davis Nixon, <laughs> maybe from a stranger here in the room, that we would have the courage to, to dream again and to step out in faith and, and recognize that, that our weary souls need the medicine of moving our feet for you. So God, uh, we do pray that, that, we thank you that you shouted out to those disciples, you said, children, you have no fish, have you? And so God, there are so many of us in here in different ways. Each one of us has a way that we have an empty net. We confess that to you, God. We, we recognize that uh, we have been empty. And uh, we also pray that you would help us listen to the voices from the shore and that you would speak to us not just through scripture today but through people we encounter that we have our eyes eyes open and ears open and when someone tells us that it's the Lord we would listen and we pray for all those people around the city around this country that that don't have the experience of, of being a part of your body this community that's not fractured and where segregation of all kind not just racist segregation but segregation of of judgment on another human being would just be melted away and become a community of forgiveness and love. And so we recognize that gift only comes through your sacrifice. Your, your broken body was broken so that our body could be whole. And so God, uh, wash over us, fill us, remind us of your goodness today. May we uh, may we recognize that it's not just you who was resurrected. Now I'm going to continue to pray, but I'd I'd, I'd ask anybody who who wants to recognize that resurrection in their life. And I just hope everyone who feels that would stand. Just recognize that Jesus doesn't resurrect just uh, just one person, but he resurrects every one of us. And and he brings us out of the darkness. He lifts us up onto our feet for a reason. So we could use them for God's work in this world. Set aside the manuscript, set aside our plans, and just follow Jesus. And Lord, we don't know where we're going to be 10 years from now, but we thank you that you are the one who's going to determine that. And that every fish and every catch and every joyful moment is going to come from you. And so we we thank you, Jesus. And uh, we rest in your grace on grace. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.